There you go. Good evening, everyone. Wednesday, <coughs> not Parsha's anything this week because this week's Parsha is Parsha's Rosh Hashanah. Not literally, but since the Shabbos falls out on Rosh Hashanah this year, or I should say Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos this year, we don't lay a Torah portion, we don't read a Torah portion. Rather, we read about the, or we talk the whole day, we spend in shul reading the Torah about Rosh Hashanah and praying the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the new year of the Jewish calendar. My Rabbi, every single year before Rosh Hashanah, he used to always make the same um, comment, which is um, perhaps a little bit simple, but powerful nonetheless. He used to say, our New Year, the Jewish New Year, is the day of Rosh Hashanah. How do we celebrate the day of Rosh Hashanah? By connecting to our source, our creator, God himself, through prayer, through the festive meal, through the shofar, etc., etc. And we can contrast that to the secular New Year, which is celebrated by maybe going to Times Square, maybe drinking too much, etc., partying, and the like. That, in essence, really highlights the difference of what a Jew's life is all about versus what a non-Jew's life is all about. A Jew's life is all about connecting, connecting to our source, connecting to the Creator. Every year, we have a new year. It's renewing ourselves, renewing our lives. And therefore, we celebrate that or commemorate it by connecting and reconnecting to our source. That's what it's all about. That's what our life is all about. If we live a life without God, or at least where God doesn't play a central role in our life, then the new year is celebrated by doing what you want to do the whole year. Have fun, enjoy yourself, and, and, and party away. So that kind of really highlights the difference. The way we celebrate the new year, our new year, Versus the way the new year of the secular world is celebrated by by the rest of the world. And perhaps even maybe by some of us, but hopefully not. Um, that is the first thought. Now, I want to talk about the mitzvah, the commandment of shofar. This is the main focus of Rosh Hashanah. In fact, if we look in the Torah in Parashas Pinchas, where it talks about the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. It calls it Yom Teruah, the holiday of, um, I don't know how to literally translate the word Teruah, the holiday of the shofar sounding blow, the shofar sound. The holiday of the shofar for all intents and purposes. So the Torah doesn't even tell us the words, today is the day of Rosh Hashanah and you shall blow shofar on that day. Rather, Today is the day of shofar. Today is the day of shofar blowing. Um, signifying to us that the essence of the day is the shofar. The main focus of the whole day of Rosh Hashanah is shofar. So the question we're going to start off in the class. And if I was, it, sorry, if I was this uh, dramatic rabbi who had an agenda to put everyone in their place, I would ask the following question. But since I'm a nice guy, I'm not going to ask you for answers. 
Okay. Even if I wasn't so nice, it's two days before Shoshana. I got to be on my best behavior. Does anyone know why we blow Shofar on Rosh Hashanah? And as I wait for everyone to give me all of their answers, and I have this little, have smirk, this little smirk on my face. To confuse the Sahara. One second, one second. I'm in the middle of uh, explaining this. So I'm not oh. going to ask the question. Oh, you got it. I know, I'm asking you rhetorically. I'm going to answer myself. Okay? I'm not going to ask everyone for an answer because... I tell you, this is what I would do if I was a Germanic speaker. I would ask everyone the question. I would wait for everyone to give me all of the beautiful answers and then emphatically declare, wrong, you guys are all wrong, you have no idea what you're talking about. And then, so beautifully explain the real answer myself, because I'm the rabbi. So now, I'm not going to do that because it's two days before Rosh Hashanah. So I'm not going to insult anyone or offend anyone. So I'm going to ask the question, but I'm going to answer it myself before anyone explains their answers. And then we're going to go on to step two, and by step two, we can discuss what everyone else wants to share. I'm sure what everyone else I'm sure wants to share. So the question I'm going to ask is, why do we blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah? Why do we blow shofar? And since I'm not waiting for anyone's answer, I'm going to share the answer with you. The Rambam says, this is a very, very famous Rambam. And everyone know, heard of this Rambam to some extent. But most people um, skip the first three words of the Rambam. First four words of the Rambam. The Rambam says, if anyone gets the, hopefully everyone gets the Kolal's pamphlet, Torah, the, the family Torah journal. And there is a beautiful article on the side titled Food for Thought. And the author of that article writes a beautiful piece on this Rambam, Maimonides, but in a little bit of a different vein. Um, the Rambam says like this, even though that the mitzvah of shofar, that the commandment to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is a chok, is a decree from heaven with no clear reason of why we do it, why we blow. Still, there is a hint in a deeper meaning, a deeper hint symbolized in the blowing of the shofar. And he continues, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The rest of the Rambam is very famous, which we'll discuss in a moment. But this first part sometimes seems to get lost in the shuffle. The Rambam is telling us the reason why we blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah is because Hashem said so. That's it. That's it. Regular mitzvah, Hashem told us to blow the shofar. And that's why we blow shofar. Because it's a mitzvah. If I would ask you, do you know why we put on tefillin? Perhaps you may be a learned man or woman and you may know. A lot of the deep secrets, but because Hashem said so, Hashem told us to put on tefillin. That's why we put on tefillin. Do you know why we keep Shabbos? Well, we keep Shabbos because Hashem made the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. But in essence, the reason why we keep Shabbos, in essence, in truth, is because can you guess? Hashem said so. 
That is the reason why we keep Shabbos. So the reason why we blow Shofar is because Hashem said so. And Rabbi Matisio Solomon, Shlita, may he be well and, right, may he be Zolar Gesundzayim. He should have a Rafur Shalema. The holy Mashkiach, the holy uh, spiritual leader of the yeshiva base Medrash Gavoa in Lakewood, the great big yeshiva in Lakewood that I had the privilege of studying in before I came to St. Louis. The holy Mashkiach, may he be well, said over, says over that the main segula, the main, um, um, I'm not going to say segula in English, but the main segula, I think everyone here is familiar with what a segula is. The main um, idea, I'll, I'll, just, I'll point, say it in English. Point or theme? I'll, I'll say it like this. The main um, idea of the fact, the idea that the chauffeur creates a merit for us so that Hashem gives us a kapara, Hashem forgives all our sins, the main idea, the main focus is the mitzvah itself. Just the fact that we are doing the commandment of Hashem to blow the shofar. That's what causes the kapara. That's what causes Hashem to forgive us from our sins. Just simply the idea that we're blowing the shofar because Hashem said so. All of the other 150 reasons that we're going to talk about, all step two. That's all after. First concept, is blowing the shofar. Okay. Now, it's because it's a mitzvah. Now we're going to get to step two. Okay. So I'm going to open the floor now, now that we got the first step out, out of the way. Now, does anyone know any additional reasons, any hints, perhaps, ideas, thoughts of why we blow the shofar? And there's many, many reasons, and we're going to highlight a few of them. And if any of you guys bring up something that that, that we're going we're gonna, to... Focus on, anyone have any ideas, please share with us. If you don't share your ideas, I'm going to call on you. So, okay, go for it, Joel. It, um, it, it causes us to, to sanctify the fact that Hashem is the master of the universe. Beautiful. It, it brings awareness to, to, to that fact. Okay, beautiful. So, Joel is bringing up a very, very important point, which is like this. Rabbeinu Sadia Gon, he was one of the Gonin, which predates the the era of the Rishonim. So it's before Rambam, Maimonides, before Rashi. It's like the 800s CE, around then, 812 to, to approximately the turn of the millennium. The, the Rabbeinu Sadia Gon gives a list of 10 different reasons. And among those reasons, I'm not going to have time to get into all of them. One of the reasons he highlights is that Rosh Hashanah is the day that God created the world. And every year on Rosh Hashanah, we are commemorating the, the kingdom or the kingship of Hashem. And Hashem really runs and rules over the entire world. And one of the ways... In, 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 of commemorating a coronation of a king, uh, one of the classic ways is to blow trumpets and to blow horns. And this is one of the symbols 
or one of the things that the shofar symbolizes, the idea of the coronation of Hashem as the king, or reconfirming Hashem as our king and the king of the universe with the shofar. Just like every year is the year that Hashem created the world on Rosh Hashanah. That's beautiful. That's one answer. Beautiful. Any other suggestions? Any other answers? I think I heard. I think I heard something about um, waking us from our complacency, um, impelling us to do uh, tshuva at this time of year. Okay, beautiful, beautiful, Sarah. That's that's the Rambam. The Rambam that we just mentioned. I said the second part is very famous. That's the second part of the Rambam. And the Rambam, again, I wish I could. The Rambam, the Rambam says like this. Even though the mitzvah of shofar is commandment from Hashem, there is a hint to the shofar. What's the shofar symbolize? Uru, uru, yeshenim, yeshinaschem. Awaken, awaken everyone from your slumber. I don't remember all the words by heart. I'm not such a great scholar like that. Awaken from your slumber and come back to Hashem and repent. And he goes on and says, these are the, the he's referring to people who get carried away with the Hevle Hazman, the from the frivolous or the 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 fads, I guess, of the times. Referring to people who get stuck in all the different fads of the physical world. Awaken and come back to your creator and remember our purpose in this world. That is what the chauffeur is. It's like an alarm clock. My my rabbi my rabbi used to say, it's like an alarm clock. <laughs> Hello, wake up, wake up. Remember what we're here for in this world. Everyone, don't forget. I hate touting, tooting my own horn. No pun intended. But don't forget. To, that was a really bad one, I know. Don't forget to look at the front page of the Family Torah Journal. There's a beautiful piece on this. And I'm not going to say that twice because I, I don't want you to know that one. I want you to read it inside. But in a different light, we can just explain it on a very simple level. So many of us have strayed so far away, wherever we are in life, wherever we're holding, whether you're a rabbi or whether you're not a rabbi, we all have tons of improvement that we need to make to come closer to God. And this is our wake-up call. Wake up and remember that we're here in this world for a purpose. And come back, come closer to Hashem. That is, um, Sarah, that was a great point. That's the Ramam's that's the Rambam's um, hint, so to speak. Anyone else? Any other examples? Any other ideas that you can take out of the show for? Well, Go for it. Rabbi, I I have that the that our duty or our opportunity is to reclaim the personal connection with Hashem. And Shuba is, is, is so important to, to all of that. But anyway, in terms of it's, it doesn't answer your question, but it's a talking point about reclaiming that connection to Hashem. That's what we do on on Rosh Hashanah and and the 
shofar blowing awakens us to to that responsibility, that opportunity. Yes, that's very, very true. It is very true. The the again, I, I at some point I think it's going to be old, and everyone's going to have this in their back pocket. But I like repeating this over and over again because it's something that gets lost in the shuffle. The word teshuva, in English, loosely translated, is repent. But the root of the word is to return. Tashuv or shuv means to return. So the essence of teshuva, of repentance, is returning home, returning back. And I've probably said this story many times, but there is a big organization in Israel, a big um, organization that brings children, brings families that are not observant back into the into into the fold, into Judaism, into into it's called Lev Lachem. Lev Lachem means in English a heart for a brother. And this organization used to have a big summer program. And there were a lot of volunteers. And the volunteers were, were yeshiva guys or kolal guys like me. And they used to go into the great rabbi, who's not alive anymore, of Aaron Leib Steinman. And to get a little bit of a inspiration before they go out in their mission. And he used to say the same thing every single year. He was no he was noted, he was he was very, very careful with his words. He didn't speak a lot. I remember when Aaron Lehm Steinman came to Toronto to speak, he spoke, he flew all the way there from Israel, mind you, and he was 90 years old. And he took, right, the whole city packed into the big shul, and he spoke for like a grand total of 30 seconds. Whole thing. Whole thing. Everyone here is like, oh, I wish I could have been there. 30 seconds speech. 30 seconds. That was the whole thing. That was it. That was how he spoke. So he sat there, and all the volunteers piled into his his uh, his uh, office. And he says like this. I'll, I'll say it in Yiddish. So I'm just gonna, Linda. I'm just gonna mute you. Please unmute yourself when you when I'm when you want to say your point because I'm gonna get echo. Okay. So just I'm, I I muted you, and you can unmute unmute yourself as soon as you're ready to to say the next point after the story, okay? So he says like this. He says like this. And the mission of the summer, of your summer is to bring back a falor and a kint to Zayn Tata. So Rick, um, I don't know how to say it in English exactly. A falor and a kint to Zayn Tata. In English, your mission in the summer is to bring back a lost child to his father. That is your mission. Bringing back children to their father. That is what it is. The example, we give different types of examples all the years. If anyone was by Rabbi Y.Y. Rubenstein's speech in New City Shul a couple of weeks ago, um, he gave a set of a beautiful story that had, there was not a dry eye in the room. That's why he gets paid um, five, whatever it is, thousand dollars to fly in for Shabbos. And I'm still in Kolo. I get paid that much a couple of months. But the idea is that imagine a person had a had a, had a, a child who got lost in a forest. You know, these stories, different, whatever, lost anywhere, but just in my story. It's lost in the forest. You go to the, the state park, 
it's hundreds of miles. The whole thing is humongous. And they have the state troopers there. They have volunteers, the police. Everyone's combing the forest trying to find this child. And it's a day, and it's two days, and it's three days. And the parents say, you know what? We could be here forever. They They go home, and they go to sleep. Imagine if at 3 o'clock in the morning, they find the child alive and well. What do you think the reaction of the parent is going to be? Call the parent up. Groggy mother. Oh, it's Hi, we found your child. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. What are you calling me for? That's. No, that's not going to happen, right? You found my child, and instantly the person's going to wake up. So if any of us think and feel that we're too lost, feel that we're lost in the forest, too far, that Hashem kind of has given up on us, imagine the excitement and the joy of a parent finding out that their child was found in the forest after three days. Three o'clock in the morning, whatever it may be, there is nothing that can dampen such an excitement. That is the feelings. Well, Hashem is not a person, but we can use that as an analogy. That is what is going on with Hashem. There is no greater excitement and enjoyment for Hashem in the world than us coming back to Him. Nothing in the world can compare, no matter how far you are. In fact, I would assume the farther we are, the longer we strayed away, the greater the, the greater the excitement, the greater the yearning Hashem has to have us back. Because he, he misses us all that much more. So that's basically the idea of teshuva. Teshuva doesn't mean repentance and go and cry. And teshuva is, is, is real. Returning to our, to our Father in Heaven. Returning to Hashem and and. Connecting to him. That is really the essence of what Shuvah is. And that's what the Shuvah, one of the reasons the Shuvah symbolizes. Okay. Linda, back to you. Now you can unmute yourself. I was just thinking that was um, the Shuvah blown at different times in history, such as Adam, Adam and Chava, um, uh, when Yitzhak was uh, being sacrificed, um, when the Torah was given the chauffeur was blown. So maybe part of what we should be doing is reconnecting to the other times um, as a nation, as a nation um, to pull together and listen to it, not just what it's individually doing to us individually, but, but bringing us together as a nation. Beautiful. Beautiful. You touched upon a bunch of different things. I'm going to try to, separate them and talk about them separately. But yes, beautiful. So again, back going back to Rabbeinu Sadiagon, Rabbeinu Sadiagon explains another two reasons why we blow shofar. One is the reason why we blow shofar is, is because of the Akedah. The Akedah is Yitzchak. When um, Avram, Abraham brought Isaac, his son, Yitzchak, bound him on top of the altar, on top of his uh, mizbech, to sacrifice him for Hashem. Hashem stopped him, the malach, the angel stopped him. And then Hashem pointed out, the malach pointed out that there is a ram, an ayal, 
tied up in the in the in the in the bushes in the in the gosh in the thorns. I'll tangle up in the thorns. The brambles. Bramble. There you go. Brambles. Beautiful. And and uh, we blow a chauffeur. In fact, most of the Ashkenazi Jew, Jew, Jews um, are makpid. We are we only use a horn of a ram. The Temanim, the Yemenites, they use a horn of a, a gazelle or some other larger animal that twirls around. If you if you look at the pictures of chauffeur on the computer, which I was doing this morning for the class, half the pictures and there were those twirly guys because they make very cool photo shoots. But I would say 80-90% of Judaism doesn't use that. Those views of ram's horn. Because the ram's horn connects to this idea of the ram where, with which comes which the ram, which is from the Akeda. Another time we blow the Hashem blew the, the shofar was blown. Another time the shofar was blown was the was the shofar was by Har Sinai. We got the Torah, like Linda so beautifully said. By Har Sinai, we got the Torah. I'm trying to reconnect to that and remember that again. And another story, another time where we blew the shofar is my Mashiach Mech Hashem. One day we didn't blow it yet. We will blow it. When Mashiach comes and we get all gathered up to 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 come back to Eretz Israel, come back to the land of Israel, when Mashiach comes, the shofar will be blown, and we want to remember Mashiach. And I just heard a story today from Rabbi Frank. Rabbi Frank um, shared with me a very very fascinating story. And we should all imagine feeling this way. Um, the connection to the yearning for Mashiach. So many of us don't even care, don't think about Mashiach. What does Mashiach mean to me? What does the Messiah mean to me? I don't know. It means that maybe, hopefully, the Jews' sufferings will end. Perhaps not even so bad now. If it was during the Holocaust, I would definitely want Mashiach. Now we have a, not too bad. But the reality is that our whole world is going to be completely different. When Mashiach comes, when Mashiach comes, we're going to have clear, clear connection to Hashem, clear visual understanding of Hashem's presence in the whole world. All of the world will be able to appreciate, all of the other nations will be able to appreciate Hashem's sovereign power over the world. It'll be a different world. There's a famous rabbi who was the Mashkiach in in Beis in the same yeshiva in Lakewood prior to Rabbi Solomon, his name was Rav Nassan Vachtweigel. Rav Nassan Vachtweigel was one of the holiest, holiest tzaddikim ever in the world. You can't even imagine. In the last, whatever it was, the last generation. He lived his entire life yearning and waiting for Mashiach to come. He almost was like lived his life on his tippy toes, ready to run to greet Mashiach. And they say over a story, over Frank's sort of a very, very cute story, which really highlights it. His, he, he had a he had a daughter that was that was Down syndrome. She had Down syndrome, and she was like a Down syndrome people can be. And and the story, I'm just sharing that detail because you'll you'll see in the story that and the way it worked was whenever the driver wanted to pick him up to go out of town, they used to go by the the house first, pick up his wife and his daughter. And then swing by the yeshiva 
to pick up the mashkiach of Nasan Vachvag. And he was he was a little elderly and his office was a little far away and there was a lot of steps to go down. And it took him a while. So by the time he they picked up his wife and his and his daughter, they they he was kind of ready to come out. Now one day they picked up his wife and his daughter and they come to Yeshiva and they're waiting for him and waiting and he's not coming. So they're waiting longer, a little bit longer. So his daughter is getting all edgy and she wants to go already. So she rolls down the window and says, Mashkiach, Mashkiach. Her, her father, Mashkiach's coming. Knowing that as soon as she said that, her father is going to burst out the door and running, even though it wasn't necessarily the closest thing to the truth. But that was his yearning for Mashiach was that he would bolt out the door. What was Mashiach? That's, that, that's, that's, if only we had any inkling, any connection in any way to such a yearning for Mashiach, we would be in a good place. Okay. So that concludes the first part of the class. Now we're going to go to the second part of the class. Okay. So now that we talked all about how important and how special the shofar is, how meaningful it is, how connected it should bring us, and all the symbols and all the different things and the special mitzvah. Now, what happens this year on Shabbos? All of a sudden on Shabbos, we don't blow shofar. On the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we blow shofar. But on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, this year falls out on Shabbos, no shofar. What happened? Are we going to miss that on all of the special things? All of the, the, the kapara? All Hashem forgiving us? Are we going to miss out on all this stuff? What's going to be? What's going to be with us? So I'm just going to go give us a little, a little bit of background on why we don't blow shofar. It may seem a little foreign to some of you. Those of you who know this, and then it's not foreign at all, you know it. The reason why we don't blow the shofar is as follows. I'm going to read you a Mishnah. The Mishnah in Tractate Rosh Hashanah. It says, Yom Tov Shal Rosh Hashanah, the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, Shechal Lihios B'Shabbos. That falls out on Shabbos. The Mikdash, in the temple, in the Mikdash, way back when. How you token? They blew the shofar, even on Shabbos. Avalo ben Medina, but not in the rest of the country, in the rest of the world. Mishachar of Esamigdash, once the Esamigdash got destroyed, Hiskan of Yochanan the elder of Yochanan Zakai said that they used to blow the shofar in a Bezdin. Now, we don't have any Bezdin really nowadays, and there's a discussion among the halachic um, um, greats the, whether or not there is an idea of Bezdin nowadays. But for all intents and purposes, we don't have a Bezda nowadays. It doesn't exist. But that was the decree he made then. So why don't we blow Shofar? So the Gemara says, the Talmud which explains the Mishnah says like this. Mida Arisa, according to biblical law, you can blow Shofar. There's no issue with blowing Shofar. Rather, it was a rabbinic decree. A rabbinic decree not to blow shofar. Why? Lest someone wake up on Rosh Hashanah morning and say, hey, I want to blow shofar this year. I don't know how to blow. And he's going to carry his shofar outside of an Erev in a public domain 
in St. Louis, where most of us live, there in, in, in University City for sure, there's an Arab, so we're allowed to carry wherever we want. But if there's no Arab, if there's no Arab, that means like a wall or different types of halachic versions of a wall that surrounds an area, then you're allowed to carry within it. If you're outside an area, an open area, you're not allowed to carry four amos, which is like around eight feet in the public domain. So this person may carry his chauffeur to the rabbi to ask the rabbi how to, to, to teach him how to blow. And that's why for all of eternity on Shabbos, we're not allowed to blow chauffeur on Rosh Hashanah. Fascinating. That is the reason why we don't blow chauffeur. But why? But who would who would be learning to blow a chauffeur on the day of Rosh Hashanah? I mean, that I, seems like impossible. I have the least. same question. I always was bothered by the same question. It blew my mind. I never understood it. Oh. You know something funnier? I thought something funnier. The Gemara ends off the same Gemara as says, and this is why we don't shake lulav for all of those who hang out. Huh? For all of those who hung out last week after class. This is why we don't shake Lulav on Shabbos. And this is also why we don't read the Megillah on Purim. When Purim falls out on Shabbos, it doesn't fall out on Shabbos ever in the uh, diaspora in America. But in Israel, it falls out on Shabbos, and then they lean the Megillah on Sunday. And why? Because you're going to go to the rabbi on Shabbos and ask if they teach you how to shake. Okay, that seems a little simpler. Shake Lulav this way, that way. That's simple. But reading the Megillah, if you don't know how to read the Megillah, and you want the rabbi to teach you to read the Megillah on per morning, you have problems. Anyone <laughs> know how to, knows how to read the Megillah? That's even worse. I don't know the answer to that question, but that is the reason why we don't blow over on Rosh Hashanah, and that is why. Okay. In fact, the, the Kiva Eger, Rabbi Kiva Eger, he was one of the greatest sages in the 1700s, I think 1700s, 1800s. He says that this is technically the reason why. However, this idea was already originated on the first Rosh Hashanah ever after Har Sinai, after we got the Torah Har Sinai. Which means that although we're, we're saying that it's a rabbinic decree, but this decree was already implemented and it was already in place on the first year. And do you know, the first year fell out on Shabbos. So the first year, first day of Rosh Hashanah, on the first year, no chauffeur. They did not blow chauffeur. 2449. 2449. And it says it in the verse, not really, literally, but symbolized in the verse. You know what it says? It says, Zichron Teruah. It shall be a remembrance of chauffeur blasts. In the other verse, there's two verses. A remembrance of chauffeur blasts? Why doesn't it say Yom Teruah, like the verse we said in the beginning of class? This time it says Zichron Teruah because they didn't actually blow. It was a remembrance of blowing. It was a remembrance of blowing. They didn't actually blow. Very, very exciting um, symbol in the part in the in the in the verse in the buzzer okay so there is a famous story um perhaps not so famous over here but it's a famous story that is 
I said over many different versions, but same idea, basically the same idea, and it goes as follows. The Noida Yehuda, the famous Noida Yehuda, is also one of the great sages. He says like this. He got up in Shul one year, this year, that year, Rosh Hashanah fell on Shabbos. And all of the congregants in his Shul were a little bit on edge. They weren't so happy. They were a little bit, I wouldn't say depressed, but they weren't in good spirits. Why? Because they wanted to blow the shofar. And they told the Noida Yehuda, that we're not like why why this whole thing is so silly and in fact it's documented that there are many 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 tragedies we'll get to there in a moment in depth but there's many many tragedies that befell the Jewish people that happened specifically on years that Rosh Hashanah fell on Shabbos presumably because we didn't blow over. We lost out on that high level of forgiveness from Hashem that the show forgives. And the congregants, the students were all um they were all a little bit uh, a little bit uh, low spirits. And they know to be who the famous they got up in shul and he screamed out. Rabbi why do we blow Shofar and Rosh Hashanah? And all of you are very, very learned now because you all went to the whole class. And he screamed out to answer, because that's what Hashem wants us to do. That is the will of Hashem. Okay. Second question. And why do we not blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah when it falls on Shabbos? Because that's what Hashem wants us to do. When Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, Hashem wants us not to blow the shofar. That's the Nevi Yehuda said. What's going to happen this year? Maybe Hashem is going to... Maybe there's going to be tragedies. That's none of our business. We don't make business for Hashem. We don't try to manipulate things for Hashem. Hashem tells us to blow shofar. We blow shofar. This year, Hashem tells us not to blow shofar. We don't blow shofar. That is the way a Jew is supposed to do mitzvot. When we look at all of the esoteric stuff behind it and all the things that maybe perhaps can be can be uh, uh right can be can be uh, maneuvering things in in the spiritual spheres that's that's very nice to know that what we're doing does create real things upstairs in the next world but when we have the the knowledge that Hashem doesn't want us to blow the shofar, we have to be confident with that knowledge that the will of Hashem this year is not to blow the shofar. That is the will of Hashem. Okay. But, at the end of the day, what are we going to do? It seems pretty rusty. You're basically signing up for a bad year. The, the, there's a famous Minchas Ani. I'm going to end with this. The Minchas Ani, was, was the, his name was Rabbi Yaakov at I think he pronounced his last name Etlinger. Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger. He wrote the famous sefer called Aruch Lener on the Talmud, on the Gemara. Very well used sefer. And he wrote a sefer on different, um, on the Chumash and other things. And that sefer is called the Minchas Ani. And he shares with us, he does the math in a few different places. 
he says that the same idea that a lot of the terrible years that happened in in, in Jewish history, a lot of the bad years, these happened on the years that Rosh Hashanah fell out on on Shabbos. The the year that the the year that the both temples actually got destroyed, those years both fell out on Shabbos. The year that the well, the years that the 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 Jews got the the sin of the the spies and and they got destined for another forty years in in, in the desert, and throughout history, there's many other years. I wanted to really research and do every single one because I remember a rabbi when I was younger hearing a rabbi and he went through a whole list, like the span. I, I can't don't quote me on it. Spanish Inquisition and 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 others. 1932. The year when Hitler, the year before Hitler came to power, many, many different years. The terrible, terrible tragedies happened in the years that Rosh Hashanah fell out on Javis. So, what are we going to do? So, the Minchas Ani says a beautiful, fascinating idea. It says, if you also look in history, if you're not such a pessimist, you'll notice that a lot of the very, very, very good years for Jews also fell out. On Javis. So it goes both ways. He lists a whole different list. The year that the Jews went into the de- into, into the land of Israel, the year that they got um, forgiven, I guess, from the sin of the golden calf, which is technically the same year. It's the year after the sin of the golden calf, because they got forgiven on Yom Kippur, and the sin of the golden calf happened um, before. Um, and he goes through a whole list of different different years where Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbos, that they had amazing, wonderful, amazing years. So it leaves us with some hope in our minds and a hope in our hearts. However, it does leave us with a paradox. So what is going on with this Rosh Hashanah that falls out on Shabbos? And he shares with us, I know I'm running a little over time, but this is a very, very sobering, um, beautiful, yet very scary thought. He shares it with a parable. I'll say it very quickly because I'm over time. Once upon a time, there was a minister to the king that he uh, sinned, so to speak, to the king. He did something wrong, and the king was very upset at him. So he sentenced him to, to he wanted to sentence him, so he told the courts to, to, to try him, to, to send him to trial. Anyways, one by one, all of his friends, all the witnesses he was trying to get, they all dropped out and so he squirmed away. They didn't want to stand up and say, witness, the king wanted this guy killed. I'm not going to get it in his way. He couldn't find anyone to help him. So one day he comes home to his wife, crying. My trial is tomorrow. I don't know what to do. This is terrible. What am I going to do? So his wife says, no, don't worry. You have me. I'll come. I'll stand in the witness stand. I'll say how good you are, how amazing you are. Not to worry. Okay. Next day comes. He stands up there. His wife is on the witness stand. His wife talks about how wonderful he is, how he takes out the garbage every week, and how he cleans the dishes, and how he's a sweet guy. He always says thank you. He's always, oh, probably didn't use my examples, but you get the idea. And the king is very impressed. And the king says, you know what? Acquitted. Beautiful. And now, fast forward a couple of weeks, the next minister gets in trouble, and the next minister tries to get up there. And again, all the witnesses, the same story. 
witnesses the one thing, and he schlubs his wife along. And the problem is that this guy was not a very good husband. He used to scream at his wife all day. And in fact, he used to beat her sometimes. Very bad guy. Schlepp's his wife to the witness stand. She stands up there and she starts talking about... No, he has a gun pointed to her back. She starts talking about how wonderful his husband is. And the king says, What's that scar on your cheek? Oh, no, nothing, nothing. I got it. The fight with the broomstick once. Oh, no. Really? Uh -huh. And what's that bruise on that side? Oh, that's from the lawnmower. Oh. And eventually, they started figuring out that... That he used to beat her. So the king got so upset at this minister. He said, what are you, crazy? You brought yourself a witness as a defense. Your witness turned into your biggest prosecutor. And the king had him, had him killed and executed. What is the nimshal? The nimshal is that chauffeur is always going to work. Chauffeur is a good, good defense lawyer. He knows how to pull strings in heaven. That works. Shabbos also works. But Shabbos, Shabbos is like a wife. Shabbos this year is going to stand at the witness stand. All of us are going to stand on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. We're going to stand in front of Hashem. And Shabbos is our wife. Shabbos is going to stand next to us. If we treated Shabbos beautifully, and we treat Shabbos with respect. And we treat Shabbos like the first guy treated his wife. There you go. That's the greatest defense the witness will ever have. Better than any lawyer. But if we didn't treat Shabbos with the proper respect, then it'll be like the second guy. This is why we have such a paradox. Some points in history, and again, I'm not trying to say that on the year 1932 versus the year 1920. I'm not saying that. The idea I'm trying to say is that, yes, Shabbos is a paradox. Because when we keep Shabbos and we have Shabbos, and Shabbos is like our the true dear wife, then Shabbos is our greatest witness. Shabbos is our greatest defense lawyer. Just as powerful as the chauffeur. However, if we don't treat Shabbos with the proper respect, then it's going to be like the second person. And with that, I want to wish you guys all a wonderful, happy, amazing rest of your year. Happy Rosh Hashanah, and hope to see at least some of you um, on Rosh Hashanah. Or, anyways, have a 